This is the third installment of measuring the temple. And the point of it all is this. Whereas if you simply read the book of Revelation as a collection of chapters and symbols, you're lost. You don't see the mind of God in it. But if you see it against the background of all of the rest of Scripture that speaks to these particular themes, then it's rather obvious. God is about to reveal that which He has been working on since the earth was created because that's what He wanted to put forth, a man in the image and likeness of God, the template and that which was built upon the foundation of the patterned son. Now here, let's let's dive in a bit further. Rise and measure the temple of God. There are two Greek words for the term temple. Throughout the book of Acts, um, when references to the temple are made, it was a reference to the temple in Jerusalem because the temple in Jerusalem was still standing, had not fallen. And so the common reference to the temple in the book of Acts is to the word, the Greek word hyreon, H-I-E-R-O-N, hyreon. Now, that was to a building. But the reference here, measure the temple of God, is to the term naos. N-A-O-S, naos. Commonly, the naos was called the sanctuary. In a Greek temple, the naos was where the altar and the image of the God whose temple it was, were. That was what was called the sanctuary. The sanctuary where the essence of the deity was housed. So there was the hyreon, the building, and there was the naos. When, when, when the angel gives him a measuring rod and instructs him to measure the temple, rise and measure the temple and the altar, He's speaking about a people, the dwelling place of God. Much as Paul would say to the Corinthians, do you not know that your bodies are are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, for the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Do you know why we're a holy people? Do you know why we're one holy nation? why we are set apart? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The living God Himself inhabits that portion of our being that He created as His own habitation. That's why we were given a spirit. 
And by the way, the spirit that we were given originated from the very person of God Himself. Our spirits, therefore, are of the same kind and nature as God. Our spirits were not created, our bodies were. But the human spirit was not created. The human spirit is not like a spirit being comparable to an angel. Angels are spirit beings, but they are a different kind of spirit. It is in the giving of this spirit out of the person of God into the form that God established from the dust of the earth, it's that likeness of spirit that was in God that allows God to call us His sons. So flesh begets flesh and spirit begets spirit and one is born again of the spirit when the Holy Spirit animates that endowment that we received out of the person of God which resides in our human form, when the Holy Spirit animates that, we come alive to God and the proof of it is the first thing we say is, Father, Father. It's the spontaneous recognition that we are born again, that we are born from above, that we are born of God, that we are born by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit awakens the consciousness of our spirits to both the reality of God and our hardwired connection to that reality. And so what is our cry? Father, Father. So the naos of God, the sanctuary of God, could never be a building. God doesn't dwell in human-built buildings. And this is what He's saying here. He gives him a measuring rod which is a type of Christ, the standard that relates to Christ. Let me quote Ephesians here. In Ephesians 4, it says uh, that we are uh, given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 4.11 and following, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up which is the reference to maturing, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now these are incidences of maturity and in case we miss it, the very next word says, very next line says, to a mature man and he distinguishes the mature from the immature by saying that that mature man is measured by the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. That's the rod that was given to him. And understanding 
of that which is in the image and likeness of God as revealed in the person of Christ. And that's maturity. When you attain that to the measure, to that measure, then you're no longer infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. I watch this mob, this unruly mob, long before, long before it was put on display in recently in Washington. I've watched this unruly mob for decades wanting to hear only what they want to hear. Both the leaders and the people indulge themselves in their flesh, refusing to grow up, insisting that the teachers teach them about whatever they lust for. And that's why fables have replaced the gospel of the kingdom. That's why every foolish notion by, told by busybodies who flit back and forth, you know, the big thing was to be able to go up to the White House or to be able to go up to the Congress and meet with some senator or congressman. So you could come back home and tell the people back home how important you are because you went up to meet with Senator so-and-so in a prayer breakfast or a prayer meeting in Capitol Hill. This is just, this is, the, and infants are fascinated by that. You got a seat at the political table as a certain Ralph Reed once, certain, once said. This has been the garbage that the people fed upon for all this time and it's precluded them from becoming mature. That's why they're still infants who are tossed to and fro. The condition called being delusional. That's why there's such widespread delusion in amongst those who claim to be the body of Christ. They simply refuse to grow up. They did not endure sound doctrine. They had itching ears and they heaped to themselves teachers for whatever they lust for. They paid the conference registration fees and gave uh, tremendous offerings to enrich these men who were speaking lies and hypocrisy because their consciences had been seared as with a hot iron deceitful schemers who understood the market that existed among an immature people. Listen, I, don't, I, I am sure that if I provided a means for commentary on these broadcasts, I would, I would probably receive death threats because that's how wacky Christians have become. That's how resistant to the truth evangelicals in general have become. 
Thank God there's still a remnant amongst them and I'm making these declarations so, so obvious, so bold, so uncompromising so that whoever has an ear to hear might hear. Frankly, I don't care about the foolish and the unbelieving. I don't care about people who want what they want. It's of no concern to me. Let them follow and let them heap to themselves whatever they lust for. I fully expect that will be what the majority will continue to do. It's what they've been doing. They have no real conviction and less fear of the Lord. That's why when weighed and measured as this, they're coming up wanting. The Word told me that that would happen in the last days. Go and measure the dwelling place of God. Don't measure the outer court. It's been given to the Gentiles. Gentile often is a term used for unbelieving. Now Jesus put it this way concerning whether or not you're a believer. This is what He said, Why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say to you? Concerning Jerusalem, Jesus once said, O Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and you stone those who were sent to you. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. You would not. Behold, your house, not my house, the house you built, the house of your illusion, or should I say, the house constructed to house your delusion now is proven to be desolate because I was never Lord over your emotions. You heaped to yourselves teachers for whatever you lust for. I mean, what a spectacle! A fellow like Kenneth Copeland. What, what, how, do you, how do you frame that within any fashion of biblical rectitude? It doesn't fit. These are the deceitful schemers. You know how late in the day it is? God is measuring the temple. God is measuring the temple by the standard of Christ. How do we know that? Because these things are finally being revealed. You can't pretend. Because you hear this word, you can't pretend you're like that. The word is merely an announcement of what God is doing whether or not He's doing it in you or through you. This is the soberness of the hour. It has never been believed 
that it'd be a remnant of people. It's only a remnant because of the strictness of the measurement. There are not many Christs. It says false Christs will arise, so in that sense many will claim the title of being accurate representations, but really the Spirit of God certifies the authenticity of Christ in you. This is the hour. We are here, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. It's much easier to kill a messenger. It's much easier to get on Twitter and write and, and, and allow venom to pour out, evidencing only that the soul is opposed to God. Whenever I hear criticisms of my being too harsh or being not accommodating of every fruit, flake, and nut, I don't take it personally. In the end we shall see. Until and unless we bow our knee in reverence to and in fear of what the Lord is saying, there is no long-term future for those who will not. Now God is measuring the temple. What else is He measuring? He's measuring the altar. The altar is the evidence of a sacrificed life. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices. The problem with the present church and the reason that it's become so debauched is that it doesn't know the meaning of sacrifice. It lives for itself. A living sacrifice is that which lives for the benefit of another. So in that sense they've been decapitated, they've been beheaded for the witness of Christ. They held up being authentic representations of His person, which would be such things as humility, of love, of vulnerability, of trust, understanding faith to be tatimi, to lie down as if you are dead, in the hope that He will arise within you in your position of vulnerability. Those understandings which are basic biblical truths fly in the face of this loud, garrulous, riotous, self-indulgent, wicked people in the sense that nothing about them would persuade the unbeliever to be like them, only to oppose them. (laughs) When you are under the altar, meaning your life has been sacrificed, then your prayers come up before God. 
when you say, how long, O Lord, the Lord will answer you and then the Lord will give the judgment of the nations into your hands. As it stands, He's about to use the nations to judge the aberrant church. So judge those, judge the altar, measure the altar because you're looking for sacrifice. You're looking for living sacrifices by whom the good, the pleasing and even the perfect will of God might be seen and measured in this sense that when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with Him in glory, in the glory of His appearing. And it will seem to the world that you are the incarnation of Christ, both individually and especially corporately, individually within the sphere of your assigned time and place, and corporately as part of a particular, one might even say peculiar people who are known by the characteristics of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So measure the altar, measure the temple, in other words, It's about the naos, the people in whom God dwells. Measure the altar, that's about the quality of the quality and extent of the way you have foregone insisting on your own will. And as Jesus, you've embraced the nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then measure what else? Measure those who worship there. Interesting, isn't it? That it would be said that worship and altar go together. Because what is the worship of God ultimately? The worship of God is with our uh, with our lives the sum and substance of our lives being based upon and lived for the benefit of and to put on display the glory of the Lord, His glorious inheritance in the saints, I beseech you therefore, brethren." So he's certifying This is the revelation that speaks of God certifying the finished work, a man in the image and likeness of God. God is certifying such a man because He's about to reveal him knowing that in the revealing of this man, the opposition will immediately come. Why? Because it always comes. When the light of redemption appears, 
in a deliverer in Egypt or in Bethlehem. Whenever one who has come with healing in his wings to restore man to God in Christ, whenever that comes, the opposition will come. And the first opposition actually comes from the false church. That's why you don't measure the court which is outside. This would be more in the Hyrian, having a form of godliness because you are in the court of the temple, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So you don't measure that because it's a given, it is already a given that it has resisted the rod of correction. The rod that represents the standard of Christ is known not to apply to the outer court. It's where the unbelievers are, but they're masquerading as believers, but they're not the naos of God. It's not where the Lord whom you seek suddenly comes and appears. The Lord whom you seek, according to the last chapter of the book of Malachi, appears in the naos of God when Christ who is your life appears. You appear with Him in the glory of His appearing. That's what Ezekiel was picturing. This is the house, the perfect house that is shown to the outside house, the court of the Gentiles. You don't measure it because it's a given that it is non sequitur, it's non-compliant, it's an aberration and it will actually oppose it will oppose that which is the naos of God. The outer court has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Quite like Jesus appearing in Israel for three and a half years. And what was the verdict? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. So when what God is doing is revealed, when the house is shown to the house, when the standard of God's righteousness embodied in a holy people is shown in the court of the unbelievers, the harlot will be disclosed for who she actually is. And this showing will, in type and shadow, like Jesus showed what the law and the prophets stood for, Jesus showed what Israel existed to embrace, to foreshadow, uh, to receive and to embrace, and yet when He came, 
he was refused, he was killed, he was rejected and killed because that's the only way you can keep doing what you want to do, you have to do away with the standard. And that's what happens next when the two witnesses come and present the truth of Christ as the picture of the house that has been judged and certified. The naos has been judged and certified, the dwelling place of God. It's been judged and certified as a, a, a people of sacrificed lives and the worship is acceptable to God. He hears them, He knows them, He responds to them, He empowers and gives to them the right to judge and that's what the two witnesses will do shortly. We'll continue uh, in just a moment. Blessings to you. I'm Sam Solon. Bye-bye.